It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling Gulf Coast is the inspirational voice of Gulf Coast fishing and conservation. Hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist, conservationist, and flounder revolutionary, Chester Moore. Be ready for a relentless pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of fishing adventure. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. This is Chester Moore. A great white shark has been confirmed by officials with OSEARCH, the satellite tagging-based research group, to be swimming off the Texas coast. Acadia, a 10-foot, 9-inch, 1,600-pound female great white, quietly pinged near Nansen, one of the big oil platforms where anglers seek tuna and billfish. It's about 140 miles off the Texas coast. A ping happens when a shark breaches, and the last one for Acadia was February 27th. The shark Z-pinged, however, March 8th, which means it signaled a breach but sent no location information. That means Acadia could be further from the Texas shoreline, or maybe closer, maybe much closer. Speaking of Jaws, before 1975, that word had very little significance in society. But when Steven Spielberg released his cinematic rendition of Peter Benchley's novel, things changed, and they changed big time. Jaws became synonymous with the awesome great white shark and fear of the unknown lurking below the surface. My father said after seeing the film, he and his fishing buddies went from wading out to the second sandbar at McFadden Beach to venturing no further than their knees, and that's for real. Over the years, I've spoken with many who said their views of the ocean changed after Jaws, and sharks became omnipresent in their psyche anytime they entered the coast. While Jaws repelled many from the water, it drew me to it. I distinctly remember watching it as an ABC movie of the week and being completely blown away. As an eight-year-old, I wanted to be a cross between Captain Quint and the real-life ocean explorer Jacques Cousteau, and somehow that's kind of happened. My family vacationed in Galveston one summer in the mid-1980s, and every night we would go down to one of the piers to fish. I was happy to catch sand trout, hardheads, and croaker as a kid, but I really wanted to catch a shark. I will never forget looking out over a dead calm gulf on the 61st Street Pier in Galveston as the moon beautifully illuminated the scene. I stood in awe of the ocean and wondered what amazing creatures were out there just past a pier waiting to be encountered. I was probably the only person in the history of Galveston Beach tourism who actually wanted to see a great white shark in a surf. And no, my parents didn't drop me on the head, or at least they never told me they did. This Jaws effect led me to some wild and semi-crazy things involving sharks over the years. But at the end of the day, the Jaws effect got me into sharks, got me into conservation. And certainly after Jaws was released in 75, you had a lot of people go out and try to catch a big shark and kill it and mount the Jaws and all that kind of stuff. But their long-term effect has been affection and respect for sharks, especially the great white. I can guarantee you there wouldn't be nearly the conservation efforts toward great whites from Osearch and other groups if it were not for Jaws coming out. Jaws changed the world. At first, it was a negative for sharks, but kids like me got into it, and I've worked for shark conservation, tag sharks from Moat Marine Laboratory and Sea Grant, and work with the Jefferson County Commissioner's Court to put up shark nursery area signs to promote catch and release in Sabine Lake. All this stuff over the years because Jaws inspired me. I've talked to many other researchers out there, so 
I call it the Jaws effect. And it's a really, really fascinating topic to think about how that show impacted things. But it brings us right back to Acadia, the great white shark in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it's a really interesting thing for me on a personal level as well, because many thought great whites in Texas waters was a fantasy. When I first wrote an article about the topic in Tide Magazine in 2005, the article was called Jaws in the Gulf of Mexico, question mark. Then Catherine and Betsy, two O-Search tag great whites showed up a few years later. Then Catherine and Betsy, two O-Search tag great whites showed up in the Gulf of Mexico a few years later, showing great whites were not only in the Gulf historically, but in real time. And then last year, Yukmani, that's the best I can pronounce that name, an adult female that weighed 2,076 pounds and was tagged in Nova Scotia, showed up as far west as Mississippi. And I wrote in Texas Fishing Game Magazine and won an award for this, by the way, Excellence in Craft Competition from Texas Outdoor Writers Association last July, that we would start seeing great whites at some point in Texas waters. And we've got them here. I've done a lot of research in this over the years, and there was a, a paper entitled Seasonal Distribution Historic Trends and the Abundance of Great White Sharks in the Western North Atlantic. The study surveyed documents from 1800 to 2010 and showed a pretty good range of great whites. The study, which examined great white sightings from a wide variety of sources from 1800 to 2010, showed the range of the great white shark from the north coast of Newfoundland to as far south as the British Virgin Islands, as far east as the Grand Banks and Bermuda, to as far west as the coast of Texas. I actually found records uh, from the 1950s of great white sharks landed and brought to Port Aransas, Texas, which is really, really cool information to have. Um, you know, and I've had people ask, well, why haven't there been great whites since then? Well, here is the real ticket, gill nets. These nets were set everywhere along the coastline, all the way from, you know, Maine to Mexico. And they're still running in Mexico, of course. Uh, there's a lot of problem with that sharks and other creatures. We'll get to that in another episode. But the removal of gill nets in pretty much all the states by 1994 gave young great whites a chance because they're typically they're born up around Newfoundland. They're born up around Cape Cod, that area. And the young great whites live closer to the coast and they would historically move down into the Gulf of Mexico. And we'd have bigger whites moving in the Gulf of Mexico as well. Well, now we've had basically three generations of great white sharks because great white sharks take about 10 years to get sexual maturity. So you have three generations that have reproduced that have had no gill nets to speak of to worry about. So we're starting to see these great white sharks and this really interesting dynamic in the Gulf of Mexico. We had one just a few weeks ago that was caught in the surf uh, at Panama City Beach. Um, there was uh, one caught in the surf at Panama City Beach just a few years ago as well. There was a fishing guide in that area that had his motor attacked by a great white. There were some divers who ran into one off the the Emerald Coast area there of Florida on, the, on sort of on the panhandle. So a lot of interesting things and dynamics are happening with great white sharks. And there is historical precedence for this. And one of the most interesting things I found was a longline fishery. NOAA officials reported 35 great whites as bycatch in the Japanese longline fishery in the Gulf from 1979 through 1982. So 35 great whites in a three-year period reported in a Japanese longline fishery. There is historical precedence for great whites. We have proven there are great whites in the Gulf. Now we've proven they're on the Texas coast. So if there's one on the Texas coast with a satellite tag, 
What about all the other ones that don't have satellite tags? Guarantee you, there are more great whites out there. And because of the population increasing, we will definitely be seeing more great whites along the Texas coast. Let's check in with our friends with the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust, and I'll be back with my final thoughts for the show. It's been said that bonefish provide us practice. Tarpon provide us excitement. Permit provide us humility. But what can we provide them in return for so enriching our lives? Our support for the science behind the fight. Our support for Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Please join us today at ptt.org. These species' well-being depends on For years, I've called the Gulf of Mexico the Forgotten Sea because you never see specials about the Gulf of Mexico's biodiversity on National Geographic or Animal Planet or Discovery Channel. If you see the Gulf on those networks or any major network, it's always about the Deepwater Horizon oil spill or some natural tragedy, not about the biodiversity. But the Gulf is a very biodiverse place. And one of the reasons I found it higher calling Gulf Coast, not just to raise awareness to the incredible sport fishing, which we talk about a lot here, but also the marine conservation of the Gulf of Mexico and Acadia, the great white shark, and the incredible research of O-Search is bringing to light the Gulf of Mexico's biodiversity. Most people never would have thought of great whites in the Gulf, but now we can talk about this. And also it brings attention to the Gulf itself. It's protection that we need to do on various levels and also just the amazing gift it is that we have the Gulf of Mexico, this God-given gift here that provides so much recreation, so much food for our country, and it's a really, really incredible place. I go back to that pier, the 61st Street Pier in Galveston as a kid with my dad who's passed away now, and I remember just thinking about out there, what is out there? Is there a great white out there? That was my always my thought, was there a white shark? I was excited about there being a bull shark, maybe, or uh, maybe even a black tip shark or a hammerhead. But the idea of a great white really led me into a deeper exploration of the ocean. As a matter of fact, it led me in 2002 to go cage diving with great white sharks in the Pacific off the coast of California, where I had the lifelong dream come true of encountering four great whites, including a massive 18-footer. It was really a dream come true, but the dream is still alive because there's much more to pursue out there. And, you know, thinking about these great whites in the Gulf of Mexico, we're going to do a whole other show on this. We may be doing a series on great whites. We're definitely doing a series on sharks this year that's going to blow your mind. I'm really excited about this. I've done a lot on sharks. This will be the most in-depth thing I've ever done on sharks. But you think about great whites, you watch them on the videos breaching in South Africa, attacking seals. You see them attacking elephant seals in the Pacific. What are they eating in the Gulf? Well, I found one study. We'll talk more about this in another show. Well, they eat a lot of redfish, which is really interesting. That may get some anglers angry, but it's part of what goes on out there. It shows that there's not a, a one-dimensional shark. It's a shark that can live in warmer waters, a shark that likes cooler waters. A lot of interesting things going on with great whites, and of course now they're here. But the one thing I do want to say is when great white populations get to the point where sightings are regular, and we're getting to the semi-regular level now in parts of Florida, it will change the dynamic of some things in the Gulf of Mexico. It's like you have black bears all around much of North America. The Southeast has black bears. The West has black bears. Even some of the Midwest has black bears. And you got to be cautious in bear habitat. You know, you want to make sure and lock down your food and do those things right. But when you're in grizzly habitat, 
in Montana, in Alaska, in Canada, it's a different level. You have to have a different level of caution. You have a different level of precaution as you go out into the field. And that's what the great white shark will certainly bring to swimmers and divers as they become more common. Now, I am all pro great white shark, but I'm also pro education, letting people know, hey, you know, these are some things you might want to watch out for. So there will be some dynamic changes down the line. But right now, we can be focused on the fact that they're back in the Gulf of Mexico at a level where people are seeing them because of the research of O-Search. We can confirm this. We can confirm for the first time in a long time that there are great whites in Texas waters. Yeah, it's not right along the shoreline, but if you draw a line down the Sabine River on the border of Texas and Louisiana, uh, the great white sharks on the west side of that, so that's Texas offshore waters that Acadia, the great white shark, has shown up in. So welcome to Texas, Acadia. But there's a lot of exciting things if you're a great white shark fan or a shark fan coming on higher calling Gulf Coast. And also, if you're first time listening, go to Podbean here, our, uh, our host, and subscribe to this show. You'll be hearing lots on sharks and bonefish and tarpon and flounder and speckled trout and all kinds of things in sport fishing and conservation. We appreciate you listening. God bless and enjoy your time in the Gulf waters. You've been listening to Higher Calling Gulf Coast with award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist, Chester Moore. Email him at chester at chestermoore.com. Check out his wildlife writings at highercalling.net and find him at dchestermoore on Instagram.